Welcome to season 2 of Perspective Exchange, a space where we have insightful discussions for meaningful policy shifts. I'm Merlin Francis and in today's episode, we are talking about one of the fanciest topics in the tech space, artificial intelligence. Specifically, we are talking about using AI for social good and in this case, using AI for climate change. Our guest today is Mr. David Rolnick. He is an assistant professor of computer science at McGill University and is also the co-founder and chair of Climate Change AI. Climate Change AI is a platform that tries to impactfully apply artificial intelligence and machine learning to climate action by bringing together different stakeholders working on various aspects of climate change from across the world. In this conversation with C-Steps Executive Director Dr. Jay Asundi and the head of C-Steps AI and Digital Lab Mr. Rajesh Shanoi, Mr. Rolnick talks about how AI is being used by climate science researchers and how different themes of work have emerged from building meaningful insights from large amounts of unstructured data to forecasting, speeding up climate modeling and even supporting researchers in designing experiments. Over to you Jay and Rajesh. So welcome, David, to this perspective exchange with C-Step. Uh, it's uh, a great honor to have you with us, and uh, it'll be great to have this conversation on, uh, you know, the AI and its applications in the areas of climate change. So let me just start with, you know, the first uh, question, which is, you know, climate change is we've always considered it as a super wicked problem, uh, simply because it's very complex. Uh, there are multiple causes, a uh, lot of interrelations, and also the impacts are so uncertain. There's a lot of large uncertainties around certain impacts. So given that, uh, uh, how can AI help us understand this better? And uh, how is AI really being used uh, by the climate science research community? Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. There are many different ways in which AI can be relevant in helping tackle climate change. Um, and these really span climate science, which is the study of the climate, climate change mitigation, which it means reducing greenhouse gas emissions and adaptation, which means responding to the effects of climate change. And across all of these, there, there are many different sectors involved, everything from energy systems to transportation to, um, land use, forestry and agriculture, to um, climate modeling, to disaster response, many, many different other uh, sectors and areas involved. Across all of these, we see many uh, different themes for how, how AI can be relevant. The first theme is in taking large amounts of unstructured information and uh, turning that into, into meaningful data that people can act on. Um, so, for example, taking satellite imagery and scaling up labeling of that, that a human could do, just be very slow and laborious to, for example, work out where deforest deforestation is happening in real time or pinpoint where buildings are, where solar panels are, um, where there are communities at risk from, from coastal flooding and other things. Um, we also see this, this kind of um, theme in uh, natural language processing applications, not just computer vision applications. So computer vision means image processing, natural language processing means text-based uh, AI. Uh, and in, in, in these cases, we might take large 
uh, bodies of text, for example, from corporate financial disclosures and find climate relevant information there. Again, taking a really large unstructured body of information, distilling it to something that can be acted upon and used to, to guide meaningful, meaningful insights going forward. So that's the first theme. The second theme is in taking a complicated system and optimizing it, controlling it very efficiently, maybe to reduce energy if this is an industrial, uh, an industrial operation, like optimizing a factory to use less energy, reducing the, the, the energy needed to heat and cool buildings, uh, controlling uh, freight transport, integrating between different modes of freight transport to reduce, to reduce waste and inefficiencies. And in these cases, um, the, the AI is really sort of smoothing the way for efficient operation. Um, which can be aligned with climate action. It isn't always aligned with climate action, but sometimes efficiency is really important um, in, in, making, uh, in, in making meaningful climate action possible. That's the second theme is an efficient operation of, of, of systems. The third theme is in forecasting. So for example, understanding how much electrical power is going to be produced by solar and wind uh, generators which depend upon how much the sun is shining or the wind is blowing. We need to know how much power is going to be produced at any given moment in order to make sure there's enough power to meet demand. And similarly, forecasting demand is something that AI can be useful for. So forecasting both supply and demand to make sure that everything works well, that we don't have any blackouts, um, and that we can integrate more renewable power into the electrical grid. And similarly, there are other applications in forecasting, for example, forecasting crop yield to, to avert food insecurity in the event of extreme weather and climate conditions. And then another theme I want to touch on is in speeding up modeling. AI is being used increasingly in applications that involve taking a maybe a physics-based model and not making it better, but making it run faster. So we have a very good understanding of the Earth's climate and how it's changing, but sometimes it's very slow to run these physics-based simulations. They take big supercomputers and run over the course of many months sometimes. And we don't have very local predictions because they're just slow to run. And so using machine learning uh, and AI in order to scale up this kind of simulation and make it be more um, faster to run, more efficient, and um, more, more scalable to, to, to localities is really important here. Um, and again, this is just approximating the physics. This is not making the physics better. Um, and then the final theme I want to touch on is accelerating the process of scientific experimentation itself where AI is not sort of replacing scientific experimentation. It's not nearly intelligent enough for that, but sometimes we can have AI algorithms that tell us which experiments are good to try by learning from experiments in the past. So, you know, supposedly Thomas Edison uh, tried thousands of different materials before settling on one that was really good for a light bulb. With AI, we can hopefully try fewer because the AI is able to augment human intuition and learn which ones, which experiments are good to try. So we don't have to try as many because if we're trying to make new materials for, for example, better batteries or better photovoltaic cells or catalysts for renewable energy applications. There's a lot of experimentation that needs to be done and we need to scale that up as much as possible. So these are some overall themes for how AI can be relevant in, in, in climate action. And it's important to remember that in all of these cases, AI is not magically solving problems. It's working in tandem with existing expertise in all these different fields and sectors. And it's one tool that can sometimes be useful in alleviating bottlenecks, but it's definitely not a silver bullet here. So, uh, so David, I think you, know, you touched on uh, several applications across uh, uh, the four themes that you mentioned. Uh, my next question is around, uh, you know, I know your research lab works on several projects at the intersection of uh, climate change and AI. Uh, 
can you tell us a little bit more about the projects on uh, you know understanding biodiversity and uh, the optimizing electrical uh, electric grids you know, because these are very close to some of the work that you know we wish to do and also a little bit about how you are using ai in, in those projects uh, david yeah absolutely so with respect to biodiversity monitoring we work on many different projects but i can dive into one particular one which has to do with scaling up data collection uh, and here, the challenge really is that there are only so many people who can go out in the field and have the expertise to understand and record and monitor biodiversity. And sometimes we want to monitor biodiversity also in pretty remote places. Um, and so what we're doing is we're scaling up the gathering of data about species abundances. In particular, we're working with insects because insects represent one half of all species and they're really important in understanding how healthy ecosystems are and how ecosystem health is changing. Um, and what we're doing is we're setting up automated camera traps that will attract and identify insects automatically using AI to process the imagery in such a way that they can be deployed completely in the field away from, away from people and gather lots of data and then have that data downloaded later. Um, and what the AI is doing is it is, it is tracking individual insects uh, on the, the screen to which they, they are attracted, the light set up. Uh, this is for nocturnal insects, and they're attracted to the screen, and the AI is tracking them and identifying them ideally to individual species, there may be thousands of possible species, and, and then counting all this stuff up. If there's particularly interesting or rare uh, species being, being identified, then human intervention may be necessary later on. Of course, it's storing lots of images, but this really enables us to, 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 to vastly increase the amount of data that can be gathered because the number of, of human ecologists and entomologists is small. So it's really enabling them to use their time optimally and scaling this up. And we're working with a coalition of ecologists and entomologists from around the world who are really interested in gathering data in these particular ways. And also there are natural applications in many different areas like forestry, for example, where people are very interested in you know, particular measures of ecosystem health in particular species. And then the next um, uh, question you asked was about electrical grids. So I can touch on an example uh, from our work there, where again, we're working on different projects. But one of the things that we're, we're doing there is we're working on the problem of out how much power needs to be produced at generators around an electrical grid, given a certain amount of demand and a certain, certain constraints on supply. Um, and this boils down to um, you know, the problem of optimal power flow, which in computer science terms is what's called a non-convex optimization problem. And for a computer scientist, non-convex optimization problem means it's really hard to solve. In practical terms, what this means is that if you're operating an electrical grid, you have to solve this very tricky mathematical problem. You actually have to solve it every few minutes. And it's very slow to solve this thing exactly. So what people do in practice is they will simplify the problem. They'll make it easier to solve, but they'll make their solution worse. And that translates in practice into more power being produced than needs to be produced with great inefficiency and wasted greenhouse gas emissions. It also gets worse the more renewable energy is on the grid because with more renewable energy, you actually have to solve this problem more frequently because the constraints, the amount of power available is changing from minute to minute. 
So it's wasting a lot of power and it's particularly bad when we have renewable energy. So we really want to work out a way to make this better. So what we're, use, we're doing is we're using AI algorithms to approximately solve these non-convex optimization problems. And we're, we're, in order to do this, we had to, we had to really build in some innovations in particular, because AI algorithms are often very bad at enforcing what's called hard constraints. And these are the constraints that in this case say that electricity has to flow around the electrical grid in a certain way. If you violate those hard constraints, then the power goes out and the, the grid breaks and you get a blackout and people die. And so you really do not want to have an AI algorithm that predicts something that suggests a solution that actually violates the way that electricity works. And so we need to make sure that we build these constraints into the AI algorithms. We worked out a new way to do that. That's actually generalizable even outside of electrical grid optimization. But we found that in the case of electrical grid optimization, this is much better than anything that people were doing before. It's much faster because it's using AI instead of these slow non-convex optimization solvers. But it's actually also respecting these constraints that need to be respected and that AI previously wasn't able to, to follow. Thanks, thanks, David. I think that's very useful insights uh, for us. Uh, so, given your exposure to you know different kinds of projects, uh, uh, how do you assess the success of of AI and ML uh, so far? And 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 then what are some you know common challenges that you've seen in most projects and and you know uh, ways to overcome them? I think that AI is increasingly being used across many different sectors and a very wide range of problems. And there are a lot of situations in which it's already being highly successful. For example, in forecasting of electricity demand, the UK national grid has reduced error by 50%. That kind of example is happening across many different sectors from um, industrial manufacturing to electrical grids, to transportation, to biodiversity monitoring. We're seeing this in so many different areas. But I think that still there is vast scope for more integration of these kinds of techniques and for really doing it very thoughtfully. Oftentimes there are knowledge gaps coming from both sides. There is sometimes over-optimism about what AI can do. It's very easy to think that AI is this magic tool that's gonna to come in and solve all of our problems where really it can only solve certain problems and only if one really knows what one is doing and is very careful. And also, also sometimes AI isn't necessary. Sometimes we need lower tech solutions. Oftentimes people come in thinking that the flashiest technology is the best way to go. And that can be actively harmful because one can end up in the situation where there are more complicated tools being used than are needed and then people don't know how to operate those tools, don't know how to maintain them. And sometimes they even perform worse than the, 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 the basic stuff or they can be a distraction. Um, on the other side, oftentimes people coming in from AI and computer science don't have sufficient knowledge about or respect for all the all the, all the knowledge that's been built up in the domain of application. And so we really need to see people combining knowledge from different fields, building in as much knowledge as possible from coming from both dimensions to make sure that the solutions being built are really tailor-made for the problems, that they're solving problems that need to be solved. 
and that they are doing so in the most effective, effective way possible. And so I think that the, the theme for what I would like to see more in this area is sort of humility and collaboration between partners and between different stakeholders who know the, 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 the relevant needs and what the capabilities are of the different technologies in addressing those needs. So th those are good learnings uh, for all of us to you know, take into account and consideration. So my uh, next question, uh, David, is around, uh, you know, we, we hear quite a bit about these, uh, uh, you know, models from uh, OpenAI, you know, DAL-E and, and, and uh, also, you know, Imagine from Google. And, and, and they are, you know, uh, commonly being referred to as, you know, foundation models. And you know, they seem to be leading to a major transformation in how AI, you know, systems are built, applications, you know, particularly those where, you know, I mean, you know, with a text, you input a text prompt and it creates those images, uh, you know, using generative AI techniques. So, uh, I mean, so do you see any such, you know, like fundamental shifts in terms of, you know, these foundation models happening in, in the approach that we take uh, for, for tackling climate change? Is it a possibility? Oftentimes the flashiest kinds of AI that one reads about aren't actually the most impactful. Um, I think that there are huge advances being made in core AI technologies, and sometimes you can see that in some of the sort of flashier applications, but I don't think that those are the, those are the exact algorithms that are going to be making, making the key differences um, in, in problems like, like climate change. Um, oftentimes, the flashy applications of AI sound like they're going to change the world, but they either don't or they do so in negative ways. Um, we've seen that with many of the most um, flashy uh, image generation algorithms, for example, that they're being used in many ways that are actively harmful to society um, uh, to generate um, deep fakes, for example. Um, and I, I think that we should think this way very critically about some of the, the applications of, of AI within society too. So for example, if we look at something like self-driving cars, they're probably gonna make climate change worse. Um, that is a situation where we have an algorithm that is being used in many cases to get people to drive more, um, reducing the barrier to driving um, and if that's used in public transportation or in optimizing freight transportation, maybe that will help. It, there's this disagreement um, in, in, in the impact assessment community, but if it's being used for like self-driving personal vehicles, then it's probably gonna make climate change somewhat worse. It may have other benefits, but you know, sometimes these things that one hears about as being high profile AI applications aren't necessarily the most impactful things from a, from a societal perspective and maybe optimizing freight transport, detecting problems in railways, even though it's less flashy, is more impactful from the perspective of reducing greenhouse gas emissions from, from transportation. Similarly, a lot of these AI algorithms are basically being plugged into um, automated uh, uh, advertising systems and recommender systems that encourage people to buy more. So if you look at what a lot of the, the major tech companies are doing, they're arguably making climate change worse by using AI to uh, accelerate the society's consumption of, of, of resources. David, I think you brought up a really good idea on the uh, on the on the notion of need for collaboration, uh, and this question is really uh, on that line. Is you are the co-founder and the chair of Cl Climate Change AI, 
And this has pretty much established a global community of experts and stakeholders interested in tackling climate change. Now, how can the participants in the community make best of this platform and the resources? And do you also see local community chapters uh, focused on specific or particular domains emerging out of this? Yeah, so Climate Change AI uh, is an international nonprofit that works to facilitate and catalyze work um, impactfully applying AI and machine learning techniques to, to climate action. Um, and uh, I, I'm one of the, the co-founders and chairs along with Priya Donti uh, at Carnegie Mellon University and Lynn Kock, a professor at the Hurdy School in Berlin. And the goals of Climate Change AI are really to bring together stakeholders from around the world, from across many different sectors, um, and many different domains to share knowledge, uh, form teams, um, and um, make the change happen that we need to see in this, in this space. And we aim to provide resources and uh, reduce bottlenecks for work and partnership in this space. Um, the ways in which we've been trying to do that, uh, we run many different event series, conferences and workshops, uh, AI venues, at climate change venues. We have a digital community, so you can join our community platform to, to uh, meet other people interested in this topic from around the world. We just provide a lot of different kinds of resources, reports uh, with uh, priorities for the research community, priorities for policymakers looking to facilitate work in this space. And we actually advise a lot of policymakers and, and private companies as well on how best they can step into the space. Um, we try to provide a lot of information on like what data is available, what readings are, are available, job opportunities in this space. We have a, a newsletter that provides that kind of, that kind of information for the, the community. Um, and then we also provide funding directly. We have an innovation grants program and work with other organizations to create grant opportunities within this space, both for researchers and in other contexts as well, who will really aim, aim to catalyze additional work. And then we provide educational resources as well. So we launched our summer school for the first time this year uh, to, to train the next generation of leaders within this space uh, and bring together people with complementary perspectives to learn from each other in addition to, to learning from our own sets of tutorials and course materials. So we're trying to, 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 to catalyze the space in, in, a, in a lot of different ways. Um, and there are other communities as well. You, you touched on the importance of, of local communities. It's something that we work on to some extent, but also there are many communities that are being worked on um, by, by other players as well uh, within this space. It's really important that the, 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 the field of AI applied to climate change really have global perspectives featured because oftentimes I, I think I don't really need to say that the stakeholders defining and working on problems in tech are often significantly biased towards certain communities and certain uh, demographics. Um, we see that, for example, you know, the problems that are important to Silicon Valley, like California has to worry about forest fires a lot. There are a lot. There's a lot of funding now in forest fire work, and there's less work in like locusts 
or uh, loss of water caused by uh, loss of glaciers in the Himalayas. Uh, these are problems which aren't as necessarily as important to Silicon Valley, but they're important to similarly large numbers of, of, of people outside the, 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 that major tech hub. Um, so really ensuring that global voices are dictating the priorities and shaping the, the uh, solutions in this field is really, really important um, and something that we, we, we try to facilitate and, and many other communities do as well. As Mr. Dolnik points out, sometimes technology like artificial intelligence can support us. Sometimes less technology is better and at other times technology can even worsen a problem. AI is not a magic bullet. Using AI thoughtfully and with humility and respect is key to enabling better collaboration among partners and for finding solutions that are tailor-made to a particular problem much more effectively. What do you think of today's conversation? Like and comment here or write to us on any of our social media channels to share your thoughts with us. We are on Twitter, LinkedIn and Instagram. Remember to subscribe to our channel to be notified on upcoming episodes of Perspective Exchange. Till next time, this is Merlin.